0: Spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. So the Lord commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing Uh, And went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray uh, this morning. Our gracious God and and Heavenly Father, we ask that this morning uh, you would speak to us from your word. Uh, Your word is true, it is living, it is active, it has been breathed out by you and written down through the hands of men that you moved through the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we know that you have things for us, things for us to learn, things for us to be corrected in, things for us to be exhorted in and encouraged, and we pray that you would do all of those things. We know that your word builds the body, it feeds this body of Christ and nourishes us. Give me the words to say, but we ask that you would use your word to feed us this morning. In your precious name we pray. Amen. I want to start this morning by by asking you uh, a question. Do you trust the Word of God? Do you trust the Word of God? That God will do what He intends to do through the ministry of the Word? That His Word does not return void to us? I would submit to you that, That the evangelical church today, the churches around us, ourselves included, those who believe the gospel, do not always commit themselves to the Word of God. We lack commitment and personal conviction that God uses His Word to feed the church, to Reach the lost to bring people to salvation. I feel this pressure myself sometimes. Pastors can have this pressure to to be all things to everyone in in the sense of not the way that Paul meant it, but but in the sense of trying to to keep up with what everyone else is doing, to be more entertaining, to do what it takes to win a hearing. And and over time this can lead to a a drifting away from commitment to the word of God. Watering down the preaching. Not working through passages of scripture as we do. Some churches now you need to have a a fog machine, a smoke machine up front. There was a A satire site recently, uh, a Christian satire site, said, uh, uh, fog machine breaks down, spirit unable to work. That's the mentality that we often have. And And it creeps in. It's not just churches out there. We're not just pointing the finger at the other guy, but asking ourselves, do we believe that the Gospel is the power of God and when we faithfully preach the Word of God, God will draw people to Himself. What it boils down to is a lack of conviction and being convinced that God saves sinners. And if God saves sinners, I need to do what God tells me to do. I need to use the methods that God has given me to try to reach my friends, to try to evangelize, to try to feed the church and see people come to salvation and and to allow God to work in the church. Do I trust the Word of God? Going forward as a church, I hope and pray that we are committed to the ministry of the Word of God. That we are committed to avoid following whatever fads might come down the pipe. But let us decide that we trust the Word of God. And God's Word is what is powerful and living and active. It's going to be fun to to have a volleyball game. I hope we have nice weather this Friday. But volleyball games don't save people. It's going to be fun to have a family day. And it's fun to have Easter egg hunts But what saves people is the Word of God. And what needs to go on here every Sunday is the faithful ministry of the Word of God. So this morning, our main point is trust God's ability to save sinners through His Word. Trust God's ability. We believe that God saves sinners. And if God saves sinners, I need to be faithful to using his words, the, the means and the tools that he's given me, the, the sword of the Spirit, so that God through the Holy Spirit might work. At the end of the day, if we are not faithfully using the word of God, we are subtly communicating we don't really believe that God saves sinners. Trust God's ability to save sinners through His Word. First, trust that God will cause people to be interested in His Word. Look at verses 42, 43, and 44. So we have the people want to hear what Paul and Barnabas have said. They want to hear it again next Sabbath. Uh, they worshipped in the synagogues on Saturdays, the Sabbath, but it would be like being in church and people excited to hear next Sunday, what is the pastor going to preach now? How are we going to hear the word of God? And not because Paul and Barnabas were these wonderful speakers. Uh, Paul in the book of Corinthians, really, we get a sense that he took it on the chin for not being um, persuasive enough or exciting enough in his preaching. He was drab and maybe somewhat ho hum, but but Paul comes with the preaching of the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, and the Corinthians were kind of upset that he didn 't conform to all the latest fads of public speaking, but people wanted to hear the Word of God. look at verse forty two and they went out, and the people begged that these things might be told uh, them the next Sabbath. They were hungry to hear the gospel, and when there is a hunger for the Word of God, God's Spirit is at work. Being hungry for God's Word is not the natural condition of the human heart. It is an enlivening of the Spirit, a beginning of the work of the Spirit that these people are hungry for the Word of God. Many times in Jesus' ministry, in Paul's ministry, in Peter's ministry, in the other apostles and disciples, in the prophets of the Old Testament, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, many, many times, even the people that claimed to know God did not want to hear God's Word. It is not natural to desire to hear God's Word. It is spiritual, meaning it comes from the Holy Spirit. People were so hungry for the word, they urged Paul and Barnabas to continue administering. So Acts 13:43, uh, after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in, in the grace of God. There, there was a crowd that, that followed Paul and Barnabas. Wanting to hear more. They, they could not wait till next Saturday. And so they were perhaps asking Paul and Barnabas questions. Uh, I once had a man in my ministry uh, who would often do this for me. We would, I would stand at the exit of the sanctuary on a Sunday and shake everybody's hands as they go by. And he would always stop and ask me a question. And a question would turn into another question and another question would turn into another question and it would turn into a conversation and everyone would walk past us and I would not be able to shake their hands and greet them because we would get in these conversations about the word of God and he could not wait till the next Sunday to, to ask some of these questions. It got so bad in, in a good way. It got so bad that I finally said Let's get together on Sunday nights and you can ask me these questions because I need to shake people's hands as they go out. But there was a hunger for the Word of God. And, and Paul and Barnabas are experiencing it and they are being urged to continue in the grace of God. And I think that what that means is they are being urged to continue in this ministry by the grace of God. Now, sometimes we might say you know, we urge you to continue in the grace of God in, in the sense of I urge you to continue in your, your spiritual walk, to grow in God's grace. But I, I think what's going on here more is, is they see God at work and they see God's grace in, in the preaching here and they're urging them to continue in that preaching and urging them that the grace of God, the, the hand of God would graciously be upon their preaching. They recognize that, that Paul and Barnabas are saying something new. And, and not new in the sense of being creative. Not new in the sense of being a, a dynamic speaker. But new in the sense of they're being told for the first time about what happened to Jesus. And they're seeing from the Old Testament that, that God has fulfilled His plan. And, and they are hungry for it. Uh, they, they cannot get enough of it. Did you ever have a really juicy Steak. I mean, I mean, just a a mouth watering, melts in your mouth steak, and and you you know you're slicing it into thin strips, and you you put it in your mouth, and it, and it just melts. And you're like, oh, oh, that is so good. We we bought some uh, steak a couple last year from a Fresh Cow Farm in in Lancaster. Oh, it was it melts in your mouth. I mean, this is how these people feel about the Word of God. It's ah. Oh, Ah, oh, we are hearing this for the first time. We are seeing this unfolding, and and just like when you have that steak and you finish it, and you're like, "Well, let's throw another one on the grill. Let's not wait till the next meal." They they are saying we want this word of God, and they are urging them to continue. Then the next week, the whole city turns out. Verse forty four. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Um, I, I don't know what this means in, in terms of numbers, but it was a lot of people. I imagine that maybe Luke has has a little bit of hyperbole here, uh, but it was people from all over this city. It was this crowd. And, and I imagine that, that however many the synagogue held, they were, they were at capacity. If they would have had a fire marshal in that day, they would have had to shut it all down. And they were probably some people waiting outside. There were... It was not just the the normal Sabbath day attendance that made it that Sunday or that Saturday. It was an amazing amount of people. If people are hungry for the word of God, if we are beginning to see, if they are seeing the things in Scripture and seeing that it's true, if they are no longer being blinded by unbelief, it is God at work. And let me make this exhortation to you. Pray for a hunger for God's Word. Pray for a hunger in your own life for God's Word. Pray for a hunger for God's Word in in the life of this church. I appreciate when I get compliments, and I'm not trying to use this sermon to pat myself on the back or anything like that, but wouldn't it be awesome if every week we go out of here not only filled with the Word of God, but hungry for more? You're welcome to ask me questions on the way out. I won't tell you to wait. Um, You're welcome to email me during the week about the Word of God and ask questions and say, I want to know more. or What can I read or, or study? But pray for that hunger in your life, in the life of the church. Pray for that hunger in the life of lost people. It is not natural for someone to hear the Word of God and want to know more. Pray that the Spirit of God would cultivate that kind of hunger. Wouldn't it be great if months from now or years from now even or whatever God's timetable could be, if people were showing up on a Sunday and we were saying, maybe with a bit of hyperbole, but saying the whole city is here, the whole neighborhood is here. We had to go to multiple services because we couldn't fit people in this room because God's Spirit was here. Not because Tim Bertolette's the preacher, not because we have an awesome worship band, but because the Word of God is creating a hunger. When you cook up that steak, people smell when you're grilling. I drove the other day down Route 24 and they were doing a chicken barbecue and there's all this smoke wafting across the highway. And, and you drove by. and Man, I was, I was this close to stopping. If I wouldn't have had to get back here in time for the work day, I probably would have stopped for some barbecue chicken. It was just smelled delicious. Pray that that's the way the Word of God would go forth. That, that there would be this aroma of pleasantry. That God's people would be hungry for God's Word. That the lost would see that God's word is going on and have a hunger for it. Second, this morning, trust that God's word works in the midst of opposition. So successful ministry of God's word can bring opposition and jealousy. But when the Jews saw the crowd, uh, verse 45, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and and began uh, to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. They are jealous. They are upset. They do not like what's going on. And the literal idea here is that they speak against Paul and Barnabas. They, they're speaking exactly contrary. Paul and Barnabas say this. They shoot it down by saying that. And they revile them. There's, there's a, a hatred going on here. Just a, a stewing inside of themselves. Um, Maybe, in part, the jealousy comes because they're drawing a crowd. Uh, I imagine that that uh, Sabbath day attendance was sort of like church attendance. You know, you have your good Sundays and then you have your Sundays where people are sick. Or you have your Sundays where people can't get out for various reasons. And all of a sudden, you have these guest speakers in town and, and the crowds are just busting at the seams. And, and can you imagine how the normal uh, teacher at the synagogue would have felt? You can, you can imagine some, some jealousy uh, coming along there. Um, but yet, it's also coming because these people are rejecting the Word of God. They aren't happy that people are hearing the Word of God. This jealousy is a, a manifestation of unbelief. And Paul talks in 2 Corinthians about how it is that that every Sabbath the, the word of God can be read before uh, in a synagogue where people believe that they, that they think that they are following God and they can hear the word and every Sabbath they miss Jesus. And Paul describes it as a veil being over our hearts over our eyes in unbelief and it is only it it says their minds were hardened and to this day when they read the old covenant the Old Testament that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away people will reject the message of eternal life Paul and Barnabas knew their scriptures they they knew what they were talking about it was not the failure of their preaching that these people reject the Word of God. Look at verse 46. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the Word of God be spoken to you first since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. 2 Corinthians 3.12, Paul describes this ministry. Since we have such hope, we are very bold. There is a Boldness in in what they are saying uh, to these people. Let me just encourage you. When you share the Word of God with someone, when you try to evangelize someone or try to have that that difficult conversation uh, with them, have some boldness. The Lord can give you boldness. Sometimes for me, boldness is just trying to initiate that conversation. I'm the kind of guy that, that just... I don't want to intrude in people's lives. I I don't like to just go up to someone and start a conversation. Have boldness. The Lord gives boldness. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. God is the one that will equip you to share His Word. Your ability, your sufficiency to to share God's word with someone. It comes from God himself. This is a, a great reminder. This passage a great reminder to me as a pastor. There is nothing special about Tim Bertolat. Any sufficiency that I have in, in ministering the word of God. Any clearness in communication or what I hope is clearness in communication. It comes from God. You can pray for me, pray that I would be dependent upon God. The 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 worst thing that would be that could happen is is for me to get cocky and start to think, yeah, I've I've got this down and my preaching's really good, and we're going to grow this church because look at what I can do. It's the word of God that has the power. And God makes the man sufficient. But it is not the man or the evangelist or the person sharing their faith that has some sort of special ability, some sort of unique talent. God equips His people. Then Paul and Barnabas say that it was necessary for them to enter the cities and preach to the Jews first. They always go into the synagogues first in their mission. And the reason it's it's necessary is you have all these people that have their Old Testament, have, have heard the first part of what God has done, all the way from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the Exodus and the kings and the prophets and all of these things. And they needed to be the first ones now to get the rest of the story, if you will. To to hear how God had, had brought all of His plans to a climax. That He has fulfilled the promised redemption in the coming of Jesus Christ. But it says that these people, they thrust it aside. It says... Uh, since you thrust it aside. It, it's almost a very visual word of, of pushing something down. Um, if you've ever been in a crowd of people and someone is, is uh, trying to get through the crowd and, and there's bumping and, and someone's trying to go faster than everybody else and they start thrusting people aside and pushing them aside and, and clearing away. I mean, it's sort of like that, but it's even more like this is they've rejected the Word of God. Uh, I do not want this. And they just push it out of the way. They they throw it over there. So it, it's a, an image word. In Acts chapter 7, it's used to describe how they the people of God in the Old Testament rejected Moses. It says, Our fathers refused to obey Him, but thrust Him aside, and their hearts they turned to Egypt. Remember, Remember when they came out of the Exodus and they they came through the Red Sea and then they started getting hungry and and they start grumbling with Moses. Why did you bring us here? What are you doing? We'd rather go back to Egypt where we could eat better. The place where they were 1 Timothy 1:19 uh, or excuse me yeah 1 Timothy 1:19 where where it speaks about a believer or a person who professes to be a believer for a time it says but some quote rejected this or thrust it aside some have made shipwreck of their faith so there there's two imagery sh- thrusting it aside and then they had some sort of profession of faith they pretended to be a Christian and they just you know <sharp inhale> shipwrecked it into this awful uh, rocky shore. Uh, visual imagery. This is how intense the people rejected the Word of God. We need to remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are folly to him. But they, he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, even if our Gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The the default mode of the human heart, the, the natural condition of every human being is to reject the Gospel. To not want this. To thrust it aside. It is only the spirit that gets in there through the ministry of the word that opens eyes so that people might come to saving faith. Paul then says, judge your, you judge yourselves as unworthy of eternal life. Now, on the one hand, every sinner is unworthy of, of eternal life. We, we know that to be true. We can't earn salvation. We don't deserve it. On the other hand, Paul is saying something a, a little more here. That, that, that they have, in a sense, manifested their fate. They've sealed their fate, but they've, their, their attitude and, and behavior serves as a judgment upon them. They are showing that they are unworthy of eternal life. It's, it's as if to say they are condemned by their own words. They are, they are rejecting this. And they show these things to be true. And so they depart there in a few verses by shaking the dust off of their feet. This reminds us of Matthew chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. Jesus says, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet. And when you leave that house or town, truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. All unbelievers will perish eternally. But there is a sense when there, that there is more judgment and more condemnation on someone who hears the word of God regularly and rejects it. Jesus was speaking of towns in Jerusalem, people who knew their Old Testament and then were having an opportunity to hear the message of salvation. Sodom and Gomorrah never had a copy of the Bible. Sodom and Gomorrah never had evangelists that came to town. There was not Jesus preaching in their midst. There was not the Apostle Paul preaching in their midst. They are guilty and they know they are sinners and, and they are rejecting God. And so their condemnation is just. But the idea here is when you hear the word of God and reject, how much more? You judge yourselves to be unworthy of eternal life. You can come to church Just as they could go to the synagogues week after week and hear the Word of God and reject it. Hear the Word of God and and not take it in through faith. Pray for a response to the Word of God. I think of a good example of someone who would hear the Word of God regularly and reject it. There was an atheist. He passed away a few years back his name was was Christopher Hitchens and and i think i think it was him when he was asked you know if you die and you stand before god and you find out that this really all this christian stuff really was true uh, what would you say and i think his response was there wasn't enough evidence in other words i i didn't know i couldn't see it it wasn't plain it wasn't clear he grew up in some kind of Christian setting. His brother has come back to the Lord. Actually, this is a man, Christopher Hitchens, who had many encounters with people who knew the Word of God. He went on a debate tour uh, with several prominent Christians at various times. He wrote a book, and he knew what was in the Bible, but he rejected it as repugnant. He he thought it was immoral and offensive. But I tell you this, this is the natural condition of the human heart. This is where you and I are, apart from the Holy Spirit opening our eyes. And it is so easy to look at a a Christopher Hitchens, who now unfortunately sadly has passed away, has died, and has stood before God in judgment. It is so easy to look down our noses and say, Thank God I'm not like that. But I am like that. I am that dead in my sins before the Lord saves me. It is not the failure of God's Word or yourself when people reject. And we have then Paul and Barnabas being run out of town. And sometimes the temptation is when you and I share the gospel... And someone doesn't get saved. The temptation is to say one of two things. Either A, I must have not done it right. If only I was better. Oh, maybe I shouldn't be an evangelist. Maybe God doesn't want to use me. If you were faithful in bringing the Word of God, it's not your fault that they reject the Gospel. The second temptation is to say, maybe God's Word doesn't work. And this is what we have going on sometimes in the church today. God's Word, just laying it out clearly and sharing it and preaching it, it's not sufficient is what people say. And so we better have a fog machine. We better get a light show. We better make it, church, more of a party so that we can draw people in. And then we'll sneak the Word of God in on the side. We better make the sermon ten minutes. Because that will keep people's attention. The Word of God does these things and we can't spruce it up. We can't manipulate. We can't change. A a fog machine is going to do nothing except make me cough on a Sunday. It's the Word of God. And we need to believe that God saves sinners. God saves sinners and does it through his word. Now, when I preach, I normally have this bad habit of the first point is the longest. The second point is medium length. And the third point is crammed into the last five minutes. I've tried to switch that around this week because the the last section of this is the most important part when it comes to seeing how the word of God works. Works. So I've been keeping an eye on my time and hopefully I have enough that we don't have to just cram this last point in really quick. But the third point is trust that God will bring the salvation of sinners as God intends. So I have an A and a B here, another way I'm trying to keep it all condensed. But notice in verse 47, we have the gospel going to the ends of the earth. For God, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles and may bring that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth in the providence of God. I did not plan this ahead of time. That verse is from Isaiah forty nine. And in the providence of God, our scripture reading today was from Isaiah 49. Isn't it great how God just kind of worked that out? So you've already read the whole chapter today that this passage comes from. But the plan and purpose of God when he sends the Messiah, when he sends salvation, is that he will make the new people of God, and particularly the apostles and the disciples, not just someone that will go and see the Jewish people hear the gospel. He will make them a light to the nations, to the Gentiles, the foreigners, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So remember in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses where? To Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They are outside now of the region of Judea and Samaria. They are going to the ends of the earth. This is God's plan, if you read in the book of Revelation, you have gathering around the throne, the church that God has ransomed, just like we we sang today, and all the ransomed church of God will be saved to sin no more. And it says in that passage that people from every tongue, tribe and nation, meaning the ends of the earth are around this throne. It's a beautiful picture. It's also a picture of light shining to people that are in darkness. When when the sinner is lost in sin, we are described as as being in darkness. Paul says that the god of this age has has blinded our hearts in unbelief. And then it says uh, in uh, yeah, second Corinthians chapter four, it says, for we proclaim is what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What is Paul saying? Well, in Acts, he's saying we're a light to the nations. How is He a light? They go around and they preach the Word of God. Paul says they come into a town and they they don't preach themselves. They don't waltz in and say, boy, have we got something for you and you need to listen to us because we are just these awesome apostles. They say we preach Jesus Christ. And when we preach Jesus Christ, it says, For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness. Remember in Genesis 1, there is darkness everywhere. Uh, If if you would have been there, we weren't, but if you would have been there, you wouldn't have been able to see your hand in front of your face. That dark. Have you ever been in a really dark basement with no windows and no lights? It's darker than that. It's human heart is darker than that. And God is just like He made light where there was none at creation, makes light shine into that heart. How does God do it? He uses the ministry of the Word. God saves sinners by opening this radiant light into their hearts through the preaching of God's Word. If we minimize the preaching of God's Word, It's like taking a giant light that is in a lighthouse that will blind you if you look at it and and swapping it out for a little pen light and saying, This will do the trick. Let's add some stuff to this. Let's spruce up our church and then we'll shine our little pen lights. But when we lay out the Word of God, we are laying out the gospel, which is the power of God which saves sinners. There are some other passages in Isaiah we could turn to about this end of the earth. One of them is Isaiah 45, verse 22. It's this call. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth, and from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return to every need, To me, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance or every tongue shall confess. That's the Gospel. And that's the call. Turn to me and be saved. And it goes to the ends of the earth and because God is God, it does not return. Meaning, it doesn't come back empty. People come to the Lord Jesus. The ministry of the Word will bring faith as God has determined. Look at verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So they hear the word, they rejoice and they glorify. They're they're saying, wow, this is for us. Praise God. God is awesome. We We are hearing the word of God. We didn't have this opportunity in the past. We didn't know about the Old Testament. We didn't know this salvation that was coming and they are hearing it and they turn and they start glorifying God and they get saved and they are worshiping God. The ends of the earth start coming because people faithfully preach the word of God. And then it says, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Who appointed people to eternal life? God did. God before the foundations of the world had a plan to save sinners and he appointed some to salvation. He took the what he knew would be the deadness of humanity, that deadness in our sin. And the scriptures say he chose some to eternal life. Not because they were good, not because they were special, but out of that badness, out of how lost and dead we are, God determined that he would save some people to himself. Large amounts from every tongue, from every tribe, from every nation. This idea of being appointed is when you are set to something and you had nothing to do with it. The centurion that approaches Jesus and asks for healing, he says to Jesus, for I am a man set under authority. In other words, somebody else put the centurion in charge. Somebody else assigned him to that task and appointed him to that. In Romans chapter 13 verse 1 we read that that there is no authority except for God and that except from God and those that exist have been instituted or same word here have been appointed or set by God. Meaning no government has power today except for the fact that God has put it there. The the people that that God, come into power in various governments aren't there because they wanted it. They're there because God wanted it and is the ultimate authority. These people were appointed to eternal life by the authority of God, and so they responded in that moment through faith. Scripture says, and I want you to write some of these down because we don't have time to go into all of them, but John chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And that word for draw is the idea, same word you would use if you were going to take water out of a well and draw it. That water, you don't stand at the top and say, Come on, water. Come on. You can do it. Come on out. You reach down and you pull the water out. God reaches down and draws the sinner And in drawing the sinner to himself through the ministry of the word and the power of the Holy Spirit, the sinner's eyes are open. And the sinner responds and they believe. And we call sinners. Believe this. Come. Receive this, as Isaiah says. But in that call, the Holy Spirit will work as God sees fit and will draw these people, move them, From the state of deadness that they are in to receiving eternal life. It's another imagery that we are dead in our sins. When was the last time you were at a funeral and the dead person suddenly decided to embrace life? They can't. They're dead. There'll be a resurrection where God makes them alive. The the sinner in their heart is dead. We are hostile to God. And God makes us alive through the ministry of the word of God, the Holy Spirit opens, and then it's like, wow, I see these things and we start glorifying God and we say, I believe. But it's because God worked first. John 6:65. 6, and he said to and he said, this is what I have told you that no one comes to me unless it is granted to him. John chapter 1 verse 12 and 13 but to all who did not receive yeah but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god children who are born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor the will of man but of god why am i born again ultimately who gets the ultimate credit yes i had to believe and receive but that is because of the will of god working in me When Peter makes his confession of faith, Matthew 16 says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Ephesians chapter one, verses four and five. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to. To the purposes of his will. Let me make a number of applications here for you. And I have the last slide for that. First. I can preach the gospel. Knowing that God will actually use it. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.10. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect. That, though, that they also may attain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory if God did not appoint people to salvation, if God did not determine to open people's hearts through the ministry of the Word of God, there would be no point in sharing the Gospel. You can't create light inside people's hearts, but God can. You're sharing the Bible with someone. It can be effective because God and work. That's why we should bathe evangelism and bathe our Sunday preaching in prayer. That God has this plan and He is working it out. And praise God, people will come to saving faith. Second, I must preach the Gospel knowing that that is how God works. Some of you might say, well, if God appoints people to salvation, why should I bother evangelizing? Meh, he'll do it anyways. God in His plan plans to use you and me. God in His plan plans to use the Word of God. The normal means that people come to saving faith is through the ministry of the Word. When we sit here and we preach and people respond, this is the unfolding of the plan of God, the the working of the Spirit. This also reminds us of the importance of sticking to God's word. If only God can save sinners, i better do God's ministry in God's way. I must use the word of God. I must preach the gospel because that is how God works. works. The reality is that if God did not appoint some to salvation, everyone would reject. That if God hadn't planned to work in people's lives to open their hearts, each one of us, each one of us would still be dead in our sins. Why did God do any of this? It's His grace and His mercy and His glory so that we might see the overwhelming power of God. If I truly believe that God's Word is living and active, that the gospel was his power to save sinners, the evangelical church today would not be shallow and fad-driven. Do we really trust the word of God? And then lastly, there is no salvation without faith in Jesus. How do we minister the word of God? We don't run around and say to people, well, you know, Scripture said here those who were appointed to salvation believed. So are you appointed? We run to them with the Gospel and we say, as it says in Isaiah, turn to Jesus and be saved all the ends of the earth. We make the announcement. Jesus died on the cross. He rose again from the dead. Believe in Him and you will be saved. And guess what? By the grace of God, the Holy Spirit will work behind the scenes in someone's heart and He will use that. If you tell someone you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because he died on the cross and that is the only way you can be saved the holy spirit can use that and in his timing and in his plans he will use that Isaiah 55:11 says so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth it shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Trust the Word of God. Paul and Barnabas walked into this town. They ministered the Word of God. They just made it plain. And people got saved because God saves sinners. We have this idea That we have to spruce it up and we have to add all these extra things. And people just don't respond to the Word of God, pastor, like they used to years ago. People didn't respond to the Word of God then, but the Spirit worked. Beg the Spirit to work. And people will respond to the Word of God. Because God saves sinners. Let's close in a word of prayer. O Lord, may we believe that the Gospel is the power of God for the salvation of the lost. Grant in us a hunger for the Word of God. Put Your Spirit in us that we might see these things to be true. That we might bow before You and say, God, we didn't do anything. You saved us. You opened our hearts so that we might believe in You. Yes, we responded by faith, but it's because You were working and You were drawing us and bringing us to You. Oh God, You get all the glory. Lord, we're going to take communion. You know that. But as we take it, work out in our hearts just that beautiful reminder of the Gospel that Jesus died to save us from our sins. That Jesus' blood was shed and His body broken because You save sinners. We trust in You, Lord Jesus. In Your precious name we pray. Amen.